I love this lively group. <laughs> so, uh, some of you have asked this little R2D2 thing here uh, with pretty colors on it. It's a, it's a Mevo, so, which is a, just a fancy kind of camera, but don't worry, it's recording me, not you. So, you're good. Um, let me pray. Father, thank you again for um, just the beauty of who you are, the beauty of the, the joy of worship. I was, I was aware, too, especially when it was all voices, of that everybody has our choice to add in, and our choice matters. It, it, it means something to you. It, it touches your heart deeply. And just to think, God, that one day we're, our voices are going to join with, with billions of voices, uh, that are just crying out, glory, glory, holy, holy to Jesus. I, I, we can barely even, I, I can't, we cannot fathom, Lord, how overwhelmingly beautiful, um, astounding, stunning that's going to be. And, uh, and Lord, here we are. And until that time, you say that um, you're a good shepherd. You're going to walk with us through every part of our lives, through valleys, through hills, wherever we are, there you are with us. You're, you're faithful, faithful, faithful. So we thank you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts tonight. Speak truth. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that even to me. Speak truth to me, to each one of us. Lord, truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so I'm going to start again. Something I started a, a few weeks ago. And uh, had some technical difficulties. I don't know if you were here that night. Uh, but that was, we just made a quick detour and did something else. But we're going to try again. And, um, and so we've been preaching through the book of Acts. And in that, in that book, um, we were talking about Saul, who was a Jewish leader, who was um, like the rule keeper of rule keepers. He, if, if there was a rule, he knew it, he kept it. And in what he thought he was doing a God a favor, he was killing Christians. And I, you know, sometimes we can't really understand why that kind of hatred uh, for someone that's giving your whole life to something. And now you've got a group of people, many of them pre previously Jews, who are now leaving and telling everybody that you don't need to keep all these rules to be right with God. That's very threatening. I'm not saying you ought to kill people over it, but I'm saying that's really threatening. And, and so, uh, but Paul, just being as zealous as he was, thought he was, he said, these other people, uh, they're messing with your laws, God. Um, they're, they're saying that Jesus, you know, gives grace. So we're, we're going to try to cut that off the pass. And if we do it real quick, it won't go anywhere. Here we are 2,000 years later. Uh, and millions, well, billions, uh, I believe now, of, of believers. Um, but... A whole lot. Jesus, it just keeps spreading and spreading and spreading. What I want to do tonight is I want to talk about, um, we, we were talking about Saul who became Paul, who really is the author, if you think about it, Jesus is the author of all things, but I'm talking about author as in penning, you know, letters. The author of grace. He's the one that wrote about grace, 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 grace. So here you got the guy that was all about rules, rules, rules. And now he's become the guy about grace, 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 which is Jesus doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And, and so I want to talk about the two because in case you think that, um, that we 
uh, on this side of the cross that we're always understanding grace and always walking in it, I, I got some news for you. We are, we are battling that, that legalistic law thing all the time, and we don't even know it. And it's, and it's really um, damaging us. And Jesus really wants us to experience all that he paid for. So I love this kind of night. I really do. It, it's, it's kind of, in a sense, back to the basics. But it's, but it's something we've got to not just hear. We need to, our spirit needs to rise up and agree. And, and uh, that's going to help set us free. So I want to start with, um, what's the gospel? And the reason why I ask that is uh, I'm going to slide back into um, Colossians. Sorry, Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Um, this is where I want to pick it up because we're still talking about Paul. Paul wrote Galatians, right? So this is the same guy that got radically converted when he met Jesus. He was killing Christians. He meets Jesus. Now, now he loves Jesus, um, and he's the one writing these letters, and he writes this to, Coloss- to the, the Galatians. He says, Jesus is the anointed Messiah who offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He has taken us out of this evil world system can you say we are out of this evil world system? It's actually really important that you believe that because he's already done that for us. And set us free through our salvation just as God. So just, this is exactly what Papa, just say Papa, what is God? That's who we're talking about, right? Our Father. It's exactly what the Father wanted. In other words, this was his plan. Jesus came and carried it out. But that's the gospel. If you're saying, what is the gospel? The gospel means good news, but what is it? Sometimes I think we're, we're not really sure, but it's so simple, it's so uh, concise that I think sometimes we think there's more to it. That's it. That's what, this is it in a sentence, um, that Jesus really did came, he really is the Messiah, he really did die for us, we really are set free. And then Paul, Paul says an interesting thing. Um, he, went to, he went to this area preached to them. Many of them got set free, received Jesus. And then when he takes off to the next place, along behind him comes in some uh, well-meaning but misinformed um, Jewish leaders who are telling everybody, don't listen to him. This isn't the truth. Go back to all the rules. And so Paul writes in his letter, he's, he's pretty ticked. And he says, I am shocked. This is just a few sentences later. I am shocked over how quickly you have strayed away from the anointed one, from Jesus, who called you to himself by his loving mercy. Come on, people, remember. I'm frankly astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel. So did you know there is such a thing as a distorted gospel, one that's not quite true? That's a fake gospel that is simply not true. There is only one gospel, the gospel of the Messiah. Yet you have allowed those who mingle law with grace. There's the problem. When you mingle, and most, almost all of us, I would say, probably all of us in our Christian lives, we've done some mingling, and we don't even know it, depending on our different traditions. Um, even when we aren't trying, the mingling comes back in of this law and grace, and that he says that's a false gospel um, to confuse you with lies. And, and in here, he goes even stronger a couple chapters later, and he makes it really clear. He says, are you going to continue in this craziness? Are you loony? Have you lost your mind is what he's asking them. For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose that you could perfect it? 
with, the, with trying to be really good and do all the right things. Answer this question. He's not letting this die. He's like, he's going to dig in again. Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in, in your lives that you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving? Lol. Or because you trust him to do those things in you. That's the gospel. You trust that Jesus has done it all. All right? It's really simple when, when you look at it this way. All right, so we're going to look at the two. Bam! I forgot my bam and bam. Okay. Religious rule keeping. So religion, again, is our attempts to be good enough to somehow think that God's happier with us, more pleased if we do the right things. That's what religion teaches us. It's our attempts to get to God. Grace and faith-based relationship. Grace means it's a gift. He's done it for you. Faith means you agree with him that it's this good. And it's all about relationship with Jesus, with the Father, and with Holy Spirit. Relationship means what? It means communication. It means, it means much more than that, though. Enjoyment. It means doing life together, you know? And, and religion won't let you do that. Religion will keep you away from relationship. So I'm going to show you in a bunch of ways tonight. I hope this just becomes crystal clear for all of us because we actually do have a choice continuously, daily. We have a choice to say no to the things that are, that are literally killing us inside, the law that's killing us, or saying yes to this beautiful relationship through um, grace and faith. Here's a verse in 2 Corinthians 3, 6 as we get into this. It's God who has qualified, this is Paul saying, it's God who has qualified us, making us to be fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of a new covenant of salvation through Christ, not ministers of the letter of the legally written code, but of the Spirit. For the code of the law kills, but God's Spirit makes us alive. All right, so we're going to go back to this. Boom. And we're going to start with this one because we just read it. So do you get what I'm doing here? I'm going to show you the contrast over and over and over again. You're going to see the, 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 the ridiculousness of, of why we would go back to any kind of rule keeping in order to please God. All right? Next one, uh, the religious rule keeping keeps God at a distance. He's out there somewhere. Anytime you're thinking God is out there somewhere, there's some legalism that's gotten into our hearts. It just has. Because God's never out there. Where is he? Christ is in you. He's not going anywhere. He's one with you. He's not going to unone himself with you. He's in there. He's not going anywhere. Here's another one. Religion is exhausting. It is. It's, it's like if you could just say it this way. It's exhausting. Is that's how exhausting it is because you can't win. It's it's exhausting. It makes you want to quit and run into hiding. Like I don't want to play this game anymore. Here's my brother. He used to we used to play each other in risk. He'd always pick black back in the day. At least that's what I remember. And green once he because he'd always creamy. So then he'd put the two colors together. If you know anything about risk. But after a while, you know what I learned? Anytime I played him, I never won. 
You know, he was, okay. Anyway, he's just really good. But you know what? That, after a while, you know what? I learned not to play him anymore. Not that game. I'll, I'll play something else, but not that one. <laughs> I love you. That's my real brother. In the same way, we all learn if there's a game that you can't win, you stop playing. And I'm telling you, this is why many, many people have left the church. It's not because they don't love Jesus. It's because, it's because they were told the wrong thing. They were told, be good, be good, be good. Measure up, measure up. If you don't, you're bad. And you can only play that game for a while before it doesn't work. And then you're like, I don't think I like this anymore. I don't want to play. Instead, grace, faith-based relationship is life-giving. It makes you want to worship God and do life with him. Amen? Religion believes that sin separates us from God. Any of you feel like sin separates you from God? I know. See, I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you because we've been taught this. And I'm, I'm telling you that, um, that, that, that nothing can separate you from God. We know that's true. But, we, but some, this is the mixture thing. Like if I were to say, can anything separate you from the love of God? You would say, no, because you all know the verse we're about to read in a second. But if I were to say, does sin separate you from God? You would say, yeah, because we were taught that. That is, a, that is an old covenant concept. Nothing can separate you. In fact, then we have to start defining even what sin is. Mm, that's a whole nother topic, which we're not going to go into in depth tonight. But what if a lot of sin is our own self-absorption, our own uh, choice to believe ourselves over what God says? Ouch. I'm just saying. Um, And so grace, the way Jesus, what he paid for, is that we can know that nothing separates us from God's love. Pastor Brent, are you making this up? I am not. Romans 8, 35 to 39. This is in the Message Bible, which I love this version. Uh, of this verse. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? Can you answer? There is no way. Good answer. Not trouble. You, you Read this with me. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. One more. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. That seems pretty crystal clear to me. Nothing means nothing. Okay, then. Let's go on. (laughs) There's more. We're also going to have some fun here in a bit, too. Uh, Religion, uh, performance, and fear-based. Performance. Have you done enough? Is it good enough? Have, okay, I'm just going to mess with you some more, okay? Have I loved the Lord my God with all my heart today? Ooh, you mean with all my soul? With all my, my, every bit of my mind? 
and, and now I'm messing with you because you're like, Brent, that's scripture. What am I supposed to do with that? We have to read scripture in light of grace, of what Jesus has done, and what is he actually trying to say? And, and what he was answering was a question asked of him, master of all the laws, what's the greatest one? He, he says, the Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and another one like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, from all the old stuff, he picked out the best thing he could possibly pick out and say, this is about as close as we're going to get for the question you're asking me. But then, he, but then he, Jesus always talks about grace. And, he, and what he tells us, which we're going to get into in a minute, is that the new commandment is that we love one another. That's his new commandment. When you've done this, Paul says, you fulfilled all the laws. That's all in Scripture. I'm just weaving it all together for you. You're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that is what it says. But we've got to, it depends on how we're viewing the Scriptures. If we're looking at it uh, law-based, we're going to see Ouch, I'm not measuring up. God's mad at me, et cetera, et cetera. If we look at it with grace and love, we realize, wow, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. So instead of performance, we have acceptance and love-based. Religion is your salvation is always in question. Always. I meet many believers who are saying, I hope I did enough. I hope I was, I made a lot of mistakes in life. I hope I was good enough to enough people where those mistakes somehow will be overlooked. I have some great news for you. The gospel says all of your mistakes are overlooked. They're all gone. And in its place is what Christ has done for you. And so the grace and faith-based relationship, you know that God won't let go of you. You know that you know that you know he won't let go of you. Now, the room got really quiet here because I know this is real. This is real. People struggle with this all the time. And I, and, I, and I used to be in a place, you know, many years ago where I'm like, well, yeah, but if you really, you know, go off sideways and you don't ask for forgiveness, then what? I'm like, okay, well, then you tell me how far is too far. At what place would the, would the father not you know, not come in and go get you. Psalm 139, and that's even Old Covenant, by the way, but David got a whole lot before his time. Psalm 139 says, you can go to the pit of hell and God already beat you there. He's already there to say, I, I, I'm meeting you here. There's, you cannot go anywhere that's outside of my presence. He's coming after. See, you don't understand this. We don't, I don't get it fully yet either, but his, his love, his grace it's stubborn. Like he is coming after you and he's going to wear you out. If you think that you're so big and what you've done uh, that he can't love you, he's like, oh, child, I'm going to love you and 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 love you until that just cannot be in your vocabulary anymore. You cannot think that way anymore. We're, we're, we keep, if, we, if we're struggling with this, we're asking the wrong question. We're just saying, you know, what... What's it going to take for me to, to, to do something so wrong that I'm going to go to hell? It's, it's kind of what we're asking. Instead of, you've been given life. You've already been transferred from death to life. It, the Bible says, Jesus says in John chapter 5, you've already been transferred over from death to life. In other words, you've already crossed into eternal life. You just don't know it yet because we haven't seen heaven yet, but your soul, your spirit has already made the crossing. So... You know, so, so then, you know, we're asking this question, what, what do I have to do 
that's so bad that that's going to send me to hell. And, and you're wasting precious, precious time by asking that question. You already have Christ in you. You already are alive. So now the question is, how much of Jesus can I enjoy in this life? That's the question. When you start asking that question, your whole world changes because it's not fear-based anymore. So religion is focused on punishment. Grace is focused on restoration. He restores, he restores, he restores. He doesn't punish. Yes, there's scriptures about discipline. The Father disciplines those he loves. Absolutely. Never with shame. Never with condemnation. But he does allow sometimes our actions to take us places that he would rather us not go. Only because he wants us, like the younger son in the prodigal, to run back to Papa. To come to our senses and to say, what are we doing not enjoying the Father? Not because we're apart from him. We're never apart from him. Never but we're not enjoying him because we believe the lie that our sin has separated us and we feel separated. But where is that feeling coming from? Right here. Are you getting this? This is where it's coming from. We're believing it and what we believe has a whole lot of power. It feels very real to us. Okay? One more and then I'm going to show you scripture. So religion causes fear and grace feels secure. And that's what Jesus paid for us. Let me just show you some place where I'm getting this in Scripture. There's many places I could take you. But here's 1 John 4, 17 and 18. Love comes to its perfection in us. That would be Jesus. When we can face the day of judgment fearlessly. Because even in this world, we have become as he is. I could take a day to try to unpack that one. See, we are not believing what the truth says, is that even in this world, not that we will become, it says we have become as he is. How is that possible? Oh, remember, Christ in you. Everything that was yours, that was, that was of the old nature, yeah, that died. All you have left is the new nature in you. What's the problem then? Well, this is where Paul says we need to renew our minds. We're not, we're not believing the truth. And it's killing us. We're, it's, it's making us suffer unnecessarily. Let me put it that way. Um, in love, there is no room for fear. But perfect love drives out fear because fear implies punishment. And whoever is afraid has not come to perfection in love. It doesn't say whoever is afraid is going to hell. It doesn't say that. It just says... That person hasn't come into perfection in love, which is a bummer, bummer for you, because that means you're going to deal with a whole lot of fear still. Now, here's what I know about fear, and I actually want to stop here for a minute and, and give God some room, because this is all really good stuff, you know, but honestly, when I tell you a bunch of stuff and show you a bunch of scriptures, we're mostly in our minds. You know, we're trying to figure it out with our minds. Is this true? Is what he's saying not true? Is it true? Oh, by the way, the age of enlightenment was not enlightenment. That was, I'm sorry, this is a total aside, but, but let me go there really quick just to say that, that I was thinking about this in worship when you were leading worship, Joel and Aletta. I was thinking about the, just the beauty of creation and how crazy it is that be, because of this thing called the age of enlightenment where everything was around reason, and if we couldn't reason it, it wasn't true, we have lost the simplicity of looking at a gorgeous sunset and not completely knowing that this came from a God who loves us because, because now we can't you know, scientifically prove that that God did that. And so now it's not true. It's like, oh my goodness. And you don't think this influences you? This influences all colleges, universities for 
generations and generations. It's what we walk into. It's part of the fallen nature of the world. But Jesus has rescued us from that. We're in the world, but we're not of it, right? So he rescued us from that. All that's to say, reason is not the top dog, is what I'm trying to tell you. Our culture says it is. It's not. It's not bad. God made our minds. He made us to think. So to say it's bad, that's not true either. That'd be calling something God made bad. That's not true. I'm just saying it's not supposed to lead us. And it doesn't always lead us into truth. I will say that as well. Your spirit will if you're listening to your spirit. So with that said, and after just saying right now that, that, that fear, um, reason isn't going to take fear away. Fear is an emotion. It's deep-seated, and it's usually caused by a lot of things that happen in your life that have set things up in a certain way for you to see certain things and not trust them and not believe them and feel afraid. So let's stop for a minute. If you, if you want to, close your eyes, because I just want to ask. I felt this beforehand. That I felt the Father's heart. Even what Bill uh, shared tonight with his, with his soft, soothing voice, the Father saying to us, it's, it's okay. I'm right here. And the Father says to each one of us, and I'm speaking to your spirit right now, God's spirit to your spirit, Papa says to you, I know you've been afraid. And it's not my heart for you. I'm not mad at you for being afraid. It's just not what I have for you. And I know that there have been people in your life, fathers, others in authority, who have um, done things that have caused you to be deeply afraid. And so what I'm asking, as a father who loves you, and because Jesus died for you to be free from this, is would you be willing to let me have those? Would you be willing to let me have those fears? Would you, uh, it's okay that they feel real. I I believe you, I know it's true because I know you inside and out. But would you give those over if I promise to give you something better in return? I'm a good father. I will never lead you through fear. It's not the way I operate. It's not what love does. And I don't know for each one of you what this, what this might look like how the, how the Lord might be touching your heart right now. But just, if you know that fear has a place in your life and you don't want it, would you, would you just right now prophetically just reach out and hand it to the Father and say, I, I don't even know how to give this to you, but would you take it? Would you take it? I don't want fear to rule my life. And your heavenly father who adores you, he says, thank you so much. I got this. It's not for you, not something I'm going to give back to you. But come here. Let's have that hug. Let me, I am so, so safe. I'm so safe. I am the father that you always wanted, the one that you always hoped could be real. I'm real. And he may have something 
else, I don't know, besides, besides a hug, besides his tenderness to give you in return. So if there's something, Father, you want to give back, just we, we give you permission, we'll receive back something good from you. The scriptures tell us, Jesus told us, Jesus who knew his father extremely well, said, my father gives good gifts to his children. And the best gift of all, Jesus says, is is the Holy Spirit that was given to us so that we would never be alone, never be orphans. It's good. I'm going to do a a page of comparisons here that honestly could run about a hundred long, because you'll get the you'll get the pattern in a second here. Religion tells tells me I'm trying to be good, but I'm never good enough. Anyone ever feel that? Maybe all of us at times, right? I mean, we all do at times. Trying to be good. That's this is what religion exactly tries to get you to do. I'm trying to be good. Ugh. Trying really hard today. In fact, a lot of times we, we gauge our day, like how was today? Was it a good day? Well, if I didn't sin very much or I didn't have sin really bad, that was a good day. Hmm. That's exactly what religion does. It, it gets us so focused on sin that we miss the whole point of why we're alive today. Whereas, I'll do this in a minute, but whereas grace relationship with Jesus is, man, how much did I enjoy today with God? How much did I love? You know, how did I express love today? And it's not, it's not a measure, measure of how many people, I don't mean it that way. I just mean, gosh, was I alive today to love? That was a good day then. That was a really good day. So grace says through Jesus, I am good because God made me good. This is huge. Let this one sink in. trying to be good enough, but I'm just not good enough. I am good because my father says I'm good. He made me good. It's right in scripture. It's in many places in scripture, but the really one of the most obvious ones is in creation. And then he created, he created all this gorgeous stuff. Think about, you know, Lake Tahoe. Think about Hawaii. Think about the most gorgeous places in the world. He says, oh, those are so good. But then I made man and woman in my image, and they are very good. My creation is now very good. You've got to get this and believe it with all your heart. Because I'm telling you, who you believe you are is actually how you walk life out. So if you believe you're that bad terrible person. It's amazing how things just keep spinning and same things keep happening. Downward spin. But when you start to believe who God says you are, you watch what happens. You start becoming a happier camper. You start, yes, you deal with the things that aren't, that aren't Jesus. That's part of the walk. I mean, don't get me wrong. This isn't about we don't ever, God doesn't ever show us something that needs change. Absolutely. But he does it as a father who loves us with grace and says, and I'm going to do it for you. Just ask me. See, that's, that's grace. Whereas, whereas law says, I, I'm looking at your sin. How can I get better? I can't do it. I'll try harder tomorrow. My question is, how's that working for you? 
It isn't the program. That's not what Jesus died for. Are you getting this? I'm trying to be holy, but I'm never holy enough. Oh, that's a problem. I am holy because I share in the holiness of Jesus. Do you see the difference? Because this is the difference between religion and grace. Religion tells you I'm trying to be pure, but I'm not pure enough. With, with, with the glasses of religion, that'd be every one of us in the room, right? But let me tell you, with the glasses of grace, this is now every one of us in the room. Say it with me. I am pure because I share in the purity of Jesus. That's it. That's it. We, we just have to believe it, and even belief is a gift from God. I... Let's fill in the blanks. I don't have enough faith to believe that. Oh, I got some great news for you. I have the faith because I share the faith of Jesus. Do you see how this works? You lack nothing of everything you need. You already have it. Always religion causes us to question, am I doing enough to please God? And with grace, we know that Jesus has made me enough I am pleasing to my Father. Now, what about those days when you're not doing so well? What about the days when you're having temper tantrums? What about the days when you say, God, I'm so mad at you, I don't even think you exist, because if you did, you wouldn't leave me in this mess. Nobody in this room has ever had a day like that. I'm talking about other people outside of this room somewhere. What about those days? I got, a, I got a beautiful video to show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this represents each one of us in our little car seat. When we're not at our best, we might be whiny. We might be, you know, complaining. It might be whatever. This is just a bad day and I don't like my life today. And, um, and what's going to change this baby is, is hearing the father's song over her. And this is her actual father who wrote this song. girl song is for all you guys too in the room you fit me perfectly darling it's plain to see you are a beautiful girl here in the present tense next to your innocence this is a beautiful world a beautiful Whoa. 
Talk myself to the moon. There's nothing I'm starting to try to mouth the words now, too. Father sees us all the time. Even when we're a crying mess, even when we think we've made a mess of our lives, it doesn't change his heart. In fact, his heart is even, is even more taken by us because he knows we have no other way out. He knows that. He knows that, that he is our, our source of everything, our, including our, you know, our hope and our joy. It's, everything is him. Um, so, and that's the beauty of the gospel is that, is that God saw your value and wanted you to know it. So he, this is why God will never tear you down, never shame you, never condemn you, never try to manipulate you with fear, because that's not what love does. He will tell you who you are again and again and again and again until you believe it. And this little girl was listening, and all of a sudden the world was right again. Until the next time she cries. And they'll play the song again, I guarantee it. Do you get it? He's not going to give up on, on coming after us with his love. Whew. God is, the religion says, God's angry with me when I sin and looking for, to find all the wrong things that I do. Grace says, God hates the sin that hurts me. And he's training me to use my freedom to love myself. Ooh, that's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? Which lenses are we looking at? Several years ago, um, I woke up, maybe about five years ago, I woke up one morning, and I just, I'm hearing the Lord. In, in between that awake, asleep state, I, mean, I suddenly hear the Lord say to me, I want you to love yourself more. 
and I was honestly a little shocked. I'm like, I thought I was doing a pretty good job of loving myself compared to other people. Can I just tell you something? He's never interested in how you compare with anybody. He wants you to receive everything he has for you. He's not, he didn't care how you compare with anybody. He really doesn't. I'm like, I said, well, I, I, did, I did say I'm in a relationship with my father. So I said, well, I, I thought I was loving myself pretty well. And he goes, I want you to love yourself the way I do. And I said, oh, then you're going to have to show me how to do that. By the way, really smart. When God tells you something, just put it right back to him <laughs> to show you, to teach you. That's all he wants anyway. And so that started a season of my life where I started doing a lot of mirror work. I would look in the mirror and God told me what to say. You know, tell yourself, I love you like you mean it. And if you don't love yourself, it's going to be really weird when you look in a mirror and tell yourself, I love you. You'll know whether you love yourself or not because you're like, I don't even think this is legal. But I, um, seems, seems like, doesn't that seem prideful? I already told you earlier, pride is when you think that your opinion of yourself is more important than God's or takes precedent over God's. That's pride. Humility says, God, I don't know all things. I'm going to believe what you say about me. So it was just a lot of mirror work. And so I, there's a lot more I could share about that. And I, and I still am in that process. Like, he wants us to love ourselves. And you might be thinking, well, I thought this was about loving other people, right? You know, isn't this that pride thing? Well, here's the problem if you don't love yourself. Jesus told us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's the problem is a lot of times we're loving our neighbors the way we love ourselves, which is not very well. You know, in other words, if you're really harsh with people at work or wherever, ask yourself, am I, how harsh am I with myself? My, my bet is there's, there's a tracer there. There's a reason. He's got his reasons why he asks us. You know, he says, I want you to love yourself the way I love you because that is going to transform you and make you a lover of other people like you could hardly believe. And we're all on that journey, right? We're getting there. Religion uh, says my, believes my past is way too big and horrible for God to forgive. Grace says Jesus is bigger than all those mistakes. He's paid for it all. And that, there's, a, there's a road I could go down there, but uh, the things we are taught along the way, especially in certain traditions, about what, you know, what sins are worse than others, which ones actually will send you to hell. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's, that's actually um, really dangerous. We're, like, we're the ones that are placing order on things. Um, if, you really, if you really think about Jesus, you know what, what he talked about more than anything was, oh, oh you have a little faith. <laughs> Why don't you just believe me, <laughs> what I'm telling you? You know, if, if you say to that mountain, move, it will. You know? But he kept saying, little faith, little faith. Now, we're on this side of the cross. He's already given us his faith. I'm reminding you, listen to this with ears of grace. Um, yeah, there's a, I could go in another direction. I won't right now. I think, um, yeah. Uh, religion discourages me that I'm not further along. Really? I'm only this far in life, and I'm how old now? Um, whereas... Grace knows that God is working all things in my life for good. Like, be gentle with yourself. You said some of that, I think, too, today, Bill. Just, but just the chill. You know, God wants you to chill with him. And you're like, well, if I'm chilling with him, I'm really not making much of today. What if God wanted you just to chill with him today? Would that be okay with you? 
Or if you didn't do enough things, would you feel really bad about yourself? Might want to have a talk with God about that. Uh, religion takes my life and myself way too seriously. Grace takes time to enjoy life and finds reasons to laugh more. How many of you have laughed much lately? You know, you know the statistics, how many times kids laugh versus adults, which is a whole bunch and hardly ever. And, and, and why is that? When, when we know actually, actually um, medically, we know that laughter actually reduces endorphins and good stuff that heals your body. Did you know that? I think you know that. Have you laughed much lately? Let's laugh. <laughs> She just loves it. (laughs) Even, Even if you just smile a little and you feel that little, okay, that was kind of funny. I'm telling you, that even counts. We were with, we, I think we were with Dr. Susan. Where, wasn't she saying this? But just even, even making yourself laugh when it's, <laughs> and you're not really feeling it, it actually is releasing some of those chemicals that are really good for you. And God wired you that way. I understand not all of life is a laughing matter. Don't get me wrong. But I am saying, man, it's a bummer if at least a few times a day we can't find some things just to laugh at. So maybe we need more of those doggy and kitty, you know, videos on um, all right, this is the last page. I'm going to go through of these. And uh, religion compares and tears down. It's what, it, it cause, it's what causes you, if you have to live by the rules, and so everybody else does too. When you hear people say, you know, Christians are hypocrites, this is the problem. Because at whatever level you think the right rules are, somebody else will see it slightly differently, but you're not keeping their rules. And if you're keeping them, everybody else better keep them too because I'm not doing this alone. You know what I mean? That's what religion does. It's terrible. Grace um, celebrates and builds people up. So we're celebrating people for who they are. Yeah, they're messed up. Okay, but what can you find to celebrate them? How can you build them up? How can you celebrate yourself? Better question. And build yourself up. Actually, they're both valid questions. Religion judges and condemns yourself and others. It's what's left. If That's what religion will do. If you are a rule keeper, you will judge. I don't care if you say you won't, you will. And, you, and, uh, and condemns, like you're the one that decides who should be aware. Who is where in life? How do we know? The Lord knows. He knows all hearts. Um, do we help people? Yes. In fact, that's part of this here. We, uh, grace and faith, relationship with Jesus, we love, we accept while helping others to grow. So if we love people enough, yes, we will tell them truth in a very loving and grace-filled way, not condemning, not tearing them down. But if we have relationship with them, if we have uh, favor with them, then yeah, we kind of owe it to people sometimes to tell them some truth that's going to help them. Just listen to the Lord about how to do it, when to do it, be gentle, be graceful about it. But we do need to help each other. All right? But as long as we we have love and grace for Jesus, we can offer it with love and grace. 
Uh, religion, um, out of fear, uses guilt and shame to keep people in line. This is why it's been used throughout history. I will tell you this. I don't have time for a history lesson, but the worst places where religion has come into history has been through, through kings and monarchs and you know, bishops and different ones that wanted to control people, told them what they could and couldn't believe, what they could and couldn't do, whether they could or couldn't read the Bible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why? To keep people under their control. And, and even in modern day, I would say we have this, we sometimes think, well, I'm going to use fear so that you won't go out and do something stupid. We sometimes parent that way. Only in the long run, it doesn't work. Fear will motivate people for a little while. It's a good motivator for a very little while. And then after a while, that motivation is gone. It has to be love. There has to be something in your heart that they see, wow, you really care about me. Otherwise, otherwise you wouldn't help me walk through this and help me see something better for my life. That's the difference. Grace tells people who they are until they believe it, just like that song of the, of the baby in the car seat. Uh, religion finds reasons to divide. This is what religion does. Look at the political world. Look at, the, look at all the, the, the nations, you know, all the, the, the prejudice and all the, all the yuck that divides um, men versus women. You know, there's, it just goes on and on and on. What, what is that? That's that religious spirit is part of it. It's part of what's causing. It always wants to pit me against somebody. I'm better than somebody for some reason. It's just what it does. It's very ugly. Whereas grace and faith-based relationship knows that we are all one. Did you know that we are one? Okay, we know that here. Let me, let me try to say this differently <laughs> to your spirit. We are not just one with Jesus. We are one, all of us in this room and beyond, with each other. That's, it's, it's in the scriptures. We belong to each other. We are one with each other, which means everything we do has an impact with one another. And this is why we cannot, it cannot be pitted against people. We can't see someone as lower than ourselves. We're actually hurting our own selves as well as hurting them because we're one. So here's a scripture. I'm, I'm right, winding this up. Galatians 5.13. Christian brothers and sisters, you were chosen to be free. Yay. Be careful that you do not please your old selves, you know, the one that died with Jesus, by sinning because you are free. Live this life by loving and helping others. Now, you might be thinking, well, this sounds like it's back to rules again. Don't sin. No, what it's saying is if we, read, if we tie this in with uh, Romans chapter 6, it reminds us that actually sin can't tell us what to do because we've already died to that. The problem is we aren't believing it. So God's not saying don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. He's saying know who you are. Know what I've freed you from. You do not have to go down those roads that you think you have no power over. Come back to me. Let me give you the strength to move through this, to see who you are. Because I'm telling you, when you move out of the, you know, seeing yourself as a, a terrible person and a sinner and this awful person that God couldn't love, and you start seeing yourself as a deeply loved, completely filled believer in Christ, suddenly you've got a very different outlook on life, and power to move through things that you thought had a hold on you. I do understand sometimes we need the help of others around us to pray some things with us, you know, break some strongholds off. That there's, I have value in all that. But I am saying ultimately, in the end, you're going to have to believe what's true. And the truth is, you already died to sin. 
Sin's already in the grave with Jesus. Here's, let me just read another one. Christ defines your faith. He is your freedom from anything the law could never free you from. It's quite a statement right there. Christ defines your faith. He is your freedom from anything the law could never free you from. The law was never meant to free you. It was only meant to tell you you have a problem. Once it tells you you have a problem, the law is no good for you because it can't fix it for you. Do you see? Jesus can. Find your firm footing in this freedom. Don't let religion trip you up again and harness you to a system of rules and obligations. That seems pretty clear. The person, of course, who leads us out of all this is Jesus. And, and so I want to read this. This is Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10 from the Message Bible. I just I happen to like this, this translation of this verse. And um, I want us, when you get to the purple versions, that's your, the purple parts, that's your time to speak it out with me, okay? Um, because what we're going to do, we're just going to acknowledge, it, see, the gospel's so simple we miss it. This is the gospel again. Here it is. It's this simple. And so when we get to that part of Jesus as my master, that's exactly what you're saying. Jesus is my master. It's true. Yes, he is. And at the end, God has set everything right between him and me. That one's harder for us to believe, but it's 100% true, meaning you are not at odds with God in any way. You think you are. It feels like it at times, but you're not. So we're going to agree with the truth that Jesus has set everything right between you and God. All right? So say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. Embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, you embrace God setting things right. And then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. Amen. Congratulate yourselves on speaking the truth because the truth sets you free. And this is the very last, the very last illustration I want to use, and that is the Garden of Eden. This, I'm going to take this full circle back around, and then we're going to do something really fun, all right? The Garden of Eden, Adam, Adam had intimacy with God, walking in the cool of the garden. Here comes Eve. They both have it. They have enjoyment with God, no cares, enjoying each other. Life is good. God says you can eat from any tree in the garden, the tree of life, great, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Why would a good God put a choice like that in front of them? Because love always demands a choice. We have to choose God over another choice. I chose Suzanne over every other woman on this planet. I am blessed. I choose her. It's a big deal to choose. Love is, love is a big deal when we choose. And so, so what's the problem? What's this? What's this why, why all of a sudden, what happened when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I'm telling you, this is the roots of religion. This is where it came from. Religion, suddenly, they had freedom. They had enjoyment. They had everything. They had not a care in the world. Now suddenly, God says, why are you, why are you hiding from me? What on earth? What gave you, th- what gave you that idea? I think I might know what, what caused this. Of course he knew. 
Uh, didn't I say earlier, religion causes us to run and hide? Uh, you know, they, you know, s- suddenly, um, you know, they, they got issues they didn't have before. I want to, uh, there's a lot more I could say about the garden, but I'm, I'm running out of time. I just want to jump forward for a second to the Ten Commandments. Where did that come from? I'm telling you, the Ten Commandments was not God's best idea. That was not the, the great plan. The great plan was the garden and what we all could have with God. And the, the Ten Commandments came as a result of a fallen world that made a choice. I want to see for myself what I think is good and evil. Are you getting this? This is called religion, which is self-focusing. How good have I been today? What's really bad? What's the worst thing? How much can I do for God to leave me? Do you see where this is coming from? And God says, well, bummer that you chose that, but love demands a choice. So we're, let's go ahead and just make it really clear then what we're doing here. Here's some Ten Commandments. Let's lay down the law, not because this will ever save you or make you free, because it can't, but it's going to show you you've got a problem, and everything is going to point to Jesus. And when Jesus came, he led us back into the garden. Not someday. And I'm telling, I'm telling you, he did this for all of creation, all of Every human being, very clear in, in Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, read it. He did it for all of creation, and there's still a choice. He says, I'm ushering you back into the intimacy, back into that safe place with Papa God. Everything you ever wanted, you got to choose. You have to choose me. You have to choose to believe that I set you free and that I'm leading you back into my Father. There's still a choice, but he's done it for everybody. It's beautiful, it's amazing, and it's the full circle now that we do not have to ever again be in this, we don't have to be led by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We get, we get to eat of the tree of life, which is Jesus himself. We get intimacy. We get joy. We get to cry with Jesus. We get to yahoo with Jesus. We get to, you know, enjoy life with him. And when we make mistakes, he doesn't condemn us. He says, let's talk again about who you really are. And he's going to tell you again and again and again. I would like us, would you stand? Look at this. We're we're even ending on time. What? That was a lot. I just crammed a lot in there. (laughs) I just, yeah, if you're able to stand. Um, I just want to end with with declarations, and then we're we're going to do one more thing. But I love declarations because this is repeating, but out loud, a lot of the things that we just went over so that um, you're, you're prophesying to yourself. You're, the more you speak truth, the more you believe it. All right? So let's together declare, Jesus, I believe that you died for me and that your sacrifice was enough to cleanse me and wash me clean from all my sin. I am one with you. There is no separation My relationship with my Heavenly Father has been completely restored. I am fully acquitted, accepted, and loved as God's favored child. I share in your holiness. I share in your purity. I share in your life. It is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ Jesus living in me. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to, um, this will be really quick. The kids are coming back in. I wanted them back in for this. Uh, 
We're going to do one last thing, and that is, I don't know if you know this, but that tomorrow is Rosh Hashanah. If you uh, get the email but haven't read it yet, I put all this in the email that I sent out yesterday. Rosh Hashanah, year 5780. So, so the Jewish calendar, I would, I would venture to say God's calendar, since he's the one that gave it to him, is, is on a different timeline than the Gregorian one, the one we're used to. Um, but there also seems to be a whole lot of similarities. But 5780, Rosh Hashanah starts tomorrow. The Jewish New Year starts tomorrow at sundown. But we're going to get a one-day jump early, okay? All right. It's kind of like, you know, celebrating the New Year on December 31st, okay, or whatever, 30th. Um, so, uh, but I want to say this. I explained this a little bit in the letter, but cel- bringing up a Jewish holiday, a tradition, and, and, and celebrating it doesn't make us any more right with God. It doesn't make us closer to God. You understand that? Paul makes that really clear. He's like, you don't, you don't got to celebrate those things anymore to be right with God. I want to make that clear. I also believe, and I've been taking notice the last couple of years, that starting tomorrow night and for the, what's called the 10 days of awe from them until Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, Jesus. See, the Jews got it all right. They just don't know what it all means yet. I'm, I'm, I mean this. I'm not trying to be facetious. And I know many Jews actually believe in Jesus, so I shouldn't quite say it that way. But what I mean is, is that their celebrations, everything's pointing to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. And some Jews know that, and some don't yet. But they will. All right. Um, and so this, this year, I want to go to this. We're going to make these declarations together. So I just want to go to it and explain it to you. This year, 5780. Those, I'm not going to get into any depth right now. We just don't have time. But the, the numbers actually correlate to Hebrew letters, which actually mean things. And so every year has really significance to it, every new year. And so the first part, what's in those numbers, is about, about this being a time to hear God more clearly than ever. This is going to be a year. And, and what's happening is we, we've talked about how the kingdom is expanding. People are hungrier than ever. Um, and, and they want Jesus. They need him. And so God's going to help you this year to hear him more clearly than ever. He needs you to hear him more clearly than ever. He needs you, number two, to see yourself and others more clearly than ever. We, we, he's giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, so that, third part, we can declare what is true. I did a lot of declaring today and, and tonight. And declaring, when we're declaring the right things, it sets people free. And when we do it with the right heart. This is a year he's saying, it's, it's so important. I, I, I don't have time. There's so many um, prophetic prophets out there, prophetic voices that are saying, this is super significant. This time we're moving into right now, uh, this particular year. And so for me personally, Suzanne and I do this together. In these 10 days, this would be a good time to do it anytime. Don't get me wrong. But in these 10 days... These ten days of awe, which start tomorrow night, um, we're going to be um, we're going to be uh, having communion every day. We're going to be worshiping every day. Um, these are things that sometimes we do, but we're like, no, we 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 need to get back to to um, hearing clearly, clearing out things, fasting from things that are that are dulling our senses, our spiritual senses. Um, those are good things to do. None of those things we just learned tonight. None of those things make you more holy make you more right with God, make him love you more. None of, you've got to get that. None of those things do that. You're as loved as you'll ever be. You're as holy as you'll ever be. 
all he's just inviting you saying, you want more? Come on, do you want more? I want to show you more of my heart. I want you to hear me because the world is coming. They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. All right? So that's what I want to declare together. And then when we're done with our yes, Lord, I'm going to blow this shofar right here. What is this, Brent? What is this odd thing? It's a ram's horn, really big horn. Like, yeah, anyway, I guess, yeah, anyway. I don't know. But uh, it, it, it's, it, it's uh, used throughout history. I would not even just scripture, but it's used throughout history in, in, uh, declare, in, in celebrations, in, at, at wartime, you know, to say, hey, we're on the charge. So it's very significant. And what I understand from people who see in the spirit is a lot of times things happen in the spirit when a shofar is blown. But anyway, as in angelic activity and such. So would, this is what we're going to do now. All right, I'm going to set this up. Would... Um, could I have forward the uh, elders, overseers, um, and prayer teams, the, the prayer team for tonight? All of you come forward because we're going to, in a minute, do a tunnel right after this. So I want you up here now because we're just going to flow right into this. Woo. They know the drill. Um, but make sure equal on both sides. And for those of you that are new to this... Um, in just a moment, after we declare, we're going to blow the shofar in our last yes, Lord. You're going to stand when we do this, by the way. Um, yes, Lord, we're going to blow the shofar. And then we're, move, uh, we're, we're going to start a, t- a tunnel, which we often call a fire tunnel, uh, just because it, it's, it's, got, it's got heat. You know, it's got like the heat of the Lord, like his promises. But I want you to think about this for your own life. You learned tonight all about grace. I just want you to agree as you're coming through today, tonight, and what we'll pray for people is, is that they experience the full grace, that they get to walk in the grace, and that this year, Jewish New Year, this year, you're going to hear God more clearly, you're going to see him more clearly, and you're going to be bold in declaring things that are true with love to others around you, okay? Let's stand, and those of you in the front, you can turn around to see this. There you go. All right, so this is Rosh Hashanah, year 5780. Can you almost feel it? You know, like New York, here comes the ball. It's about to fall. (laughs) It's actually falling tomorrow at sunset. Okay. (laughs) I say yes, Lord, to hearing you more clearly. I say yes, Lord, to seeing myself, others, and the world through your eyes. I say yes, Lord, to courageously declaring what you say is true with grace and love. I say yes, Lord, to your alignment and clarity and purposes fulfilled in my life. I say yes, Lord.